0: The picture on the screen, Old Glory, Statue of Liberty, the mention of God blessing America, unfortunately would upset some folks these days. Uh, I don't imagine that many in this audience are bothered by it in the least, but I chose this picture because of the statement, God bless America, and I, I want us to think about that statement. I want it to make us think today, does God bless America? With all that's going on, all the craziness in the world, is God possibly blessing America? Should we ask God to bless America? And most personal, I guess, am I, are you, are we asking God to bless America? So let's think about those things today, and let's start with a psalm, number 33. If you want to look up psalm number 33, we'll start there. Since we're studying psalms in our adult classes, I thought we'd just add one bonus psalm here. Let's make sure we understand the context. Uh, here's a verse you probably recognize. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I was People say that a lot. We we see it especially around this time of year, around election time, and a few other times. But instead of just taking that verse, let's look at the whole psalm and see if we understand the context. In verses 1 through 11, which we're not going to put on the screen, but you can read it when you get home, the psalmist says basically, we need to praise God. We need to praise God because who he is, he is powerful and sovereign He's the Lord of nature. He's the Lord of history. He's faithful. He loves righteousness. And he loves justice. Everybody on the earth should fear him, should respect him, should be in awe of him. Verse 10 and 11, he starts to get to the point. He says, the counsels of the nations are brought to nothing by the Lord. His plans, his counsels will stand forever. The plans of his heart will last for all generations. Now we're ready for verse 12. Let's start in verse 12. And it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Now understand, we've got the context. He said we ought to praise God because he's sovereign over everything. He loves righteousness and justice. And then it says, he blesses nations. He's the Lord of history, so he blesses nations. Nations that fear him, he blesses them. Verses 13 through fifty. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. So he says, God blesses nations, and he watches nations. He watches all mankind. He knows what's going on. He's paying attention. Verses 16 through 17 says, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. See what he says? He says, God wins the battles. We're down here on this earth, and we think we're running things. We're all concerned about it, and the psalmist says what nations' plan are brought to naught. God's plans are going to come true. And he blesses nations that fear him. He watches what's going on on earth, and he's the one that's going to win battles on earth. Verses 18 through 19. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. psalmist adds this, yes, he's watching all mankind, but he also watches particularly and hears particularly those who fear him so that he can deliver them. Not only does he know what's going on in the whole world, he particularly pays attention to those who fear him so that he can deliver them. And verses 20 through 22, the psalmist closes with a prayer, basically. He says, our soul waits for the Lord. He's our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. So he's talked about nations. He's talked about God's sovereignty. He's talking how God lifts up and brings down nations. And he says he's paying attention. He's watching. He's especially listening to those who fear him. And because of that, our hope's in him. He's our shield. He's going to win the battle. We trust in him. Okay, now you've got a psalm to read on the 4th of July. (laughs) Actually, you can read it any time, but it's pretty good on the 4th of July, because at this time of year, we get to thinking about our nation and our independence and everything that's going on. And the polls say that most everybody thinks America's going the wrong direction. Now... Half the people think it's running off the cliff to the right, and the other half think it's running off the cliff to the left. But everybody's concerned about what's happening to America, and it seems like it's worse than ever to us. Some think that, well, in just a few years, we're going to be Sodom and Gomorrah, and others think, well, in just a few years, we're going to be Nazi Germany. You know, we're going one way or the other. And people watch talk shows, they watch the news, they watch CNN or Fox News, and they get all spun into the ceiling about what's going on. Read Psalm 33. You'll calm down. Psalm 33 tells us how this world really works. Okay. Now, now that we understand the psalm, Let's see if we can make some points about it, and the way I want to do it is think about this nation in some ways, and I want to do it with three undeniable facts. Undeniable fact, the number one that I want us to consider is that God has blessed America. God has blessed America, and he's blessed America because America was built on trust in him. So that's what Psalm 33 says. That's the way it works. Well, I believe it's come true in America. Now, I understand not everybody believes that. I understand some of you have been told otherwise. Some of you have heard this nation wasn't founded on a trust in God. Uh, You've been told that the founders were deists or atheists or uh, they wanted the church, religion, the Bible, everything completely separate from the government, from this country, and all that. Uh, if you believe any of that, if you've heard that, if you've been taught that in school, i got two words for you. Read history. Read history. Real history. Now, I'm not talking about checking Wikipedia. I'm talking about reading real history. And you will find out that this is an undeniable fact. In fact, you don't have to read very much history at all. Now, the more you read, the more undeniable it will become to you, but just read a little bit. Uh, Let me tell you some things to look for. Look at the founding fathers. Start there. That's a good place to start. Look at them and see what they were really like. I know people say they didn't believe in God and didn't think God did anything in this world and all that, but you look at them and you find out these were very educated men. They studied the philosophies of the world. They studied all the different governing systems of the world. They knew the Bible. In fact, if you start to study the signers of the Declaration of Independence, you will be amazed at how many of them started out to be ministers, studied theology in college. That's who they were. They understood God. They trusted in Him. You look at their writings, and you'll find out what they thought. A university did a study not too long ago of the writings of the founding fathers and went through thousands and thousands and thousands of them and categorized and analyzed any place that their source came from somebody else. Who did they listen to? Who did they read? What did they study that they Talked about and wrote about. You know what the number one thing their source was? 34% of all of their references, direct quotes, were from the Holy Bible. Can you imagine if a politician today got up and gave a speech and 34% of it was Bible quotes? He might get off the stage alive. I don't know. You know, that would be unheard of. Be ridiculous. That's who our founding fathers were. Look at their writings. Look at their actions. See what they did. You don't have to read very much. You can just read the Declaration of Independence and you'll be done. Understanding that this country was founded on a trust in God. Declaration of Independence starts out, we believe that all men were created. Created equal and that their creator endowed them with rights. Because of that, we are declaring independence from the king of England. He doesn't have authority over us. He does. And they closed the Declaration of Independence by saying, because of this, we appeal not to courts, not to uh, tribunals, not to men. We appeal to the supreme judge of the world. It sounds like some of those men may have read Psalm 33. We appeal to the supreme judge of this world, and we rely on divine providence. We rely on the protection of divine providence as we pledge our lives and our fortunes and our sacred honors. Now, you read that and understand what they were saying. They were saying, we believe God gave us rights, and we're rebelling against the most powerful empire on earth, and we realize this is nuts. We'll probably all die. We'll probably all lose our fortunes. But we're going to do that because we believe in God and we put our trust in him. You just read that one document. And you undeniably will understand that this nation was founded, built on a trust in God. You read a little history, and you'll see how foolish some of the things we hear today are. We're told you can't read Bibles in certain places. You can't have a Bible in the government place. You can't put the Scripture on the walls of a courthouse. You know what one of the first acts of Congress was? They spent money to print 20,000 Bibles so they could be distributed, so people could understand the Bible. That's how this country started. That's how we began. Now, if you read that kind of history, and then you start reading and find the actions of God, it really becomes undeniable. If you read history from the founding of this nation to the Revolutionary War and on up to Dunkirk, you'll be confronted over and over and over with miraculous events at key turning points in the history of this country. Now, I realize some people don't believe in God, and they don't believe in miracles. Okay? If you read history, you will be confronted over and over again with wildly improbable, inexplicable events. If You don't want to call them miracles. And over and over you will see these wildly, inexplicable, improbable events that happen at key turning points that change the course of this nation. Now, let, me, let me close this undeniable fact by just reading you a little bit of a speech that Benjamin Franklin gave. Now, now bear in mind, Benjamin Franklin is the one founding father who the revisionists want to tell us was a complete secularist complete deist at the best. He didn't trust in God. He didn't think anything about it. He didn't think God worked on earth, all of that. He's the one that they usually try to say that about. In the Constitutional Convention, 1787, the the states were trying to write a constitution, and they'd come together, and they weren't doing very well. They'd spent four or five weeks at it, and they weren't getting very far. They were all arguing and Couldn't agree on how to go about this and all that. And Benjamin Franklin stood up one day and said this. In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for the divine protection. Our prayers were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us observe frequent instances of a superintending providence In our favor, have we now forgotten that powerful friend, or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, a long time. The longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. If a sparrow can't fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings, that except the Lord build, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. And I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. I therefore beg to leave to move that henceforth prayers, imploring the assistance of heaven. And its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. Okay, This is the founding father that people want to tell us didn't believe God did anything. Didn't trust in him. And what he stood up and told the Constitutional Convention was that God has helped us in the past and we better be asking for his help again. Okay. That's how this country was founded, and because of that, because Psalm 33 says he blesses such nations, he's blessed America. Undeniable fact number two, that foundation is crumbling. You don't have to be very old to recognize that our society is changing. It's moving further and further away from any fear for God or trust In the supreme judge of the world, Uh, the older you are, the more undeniable you probably think that is. Uh, You can't pay attention and not notice that people behave uh, with open contempt for God's precepts. People think, and I use that term very loosely. People think with no consideration of what God says. Doesn't enter into the equation. In fact, becoming hostile to God followers, mentioning God or quoting the Bible, it's met with open derision, it's met with hostility. Uh, we all know it's undeniably getting worse. And it's easy to think, you know, it's the worst ever. But it isn't. It's probably not even too close to the worst ever. Uh, The world's been pretty bad a number of times. Remember God told Abraham, he said, Sodom is so bad, I'm going to destroy it. Abraham didn't know how bad it was. He knew there were a couple of good people there, a lot. And so he said, well, would you spare it if there's 50 good people there? God says, oh, yeah. Abraham calculated that and said, that means he knows there aren't 50 So uh, I'll try 45. God said, okay. 40, okay. 30, yeah. 20, yeah. 10, yeah. Abraham figured out there aren't 10 good people in Sodom. There's not 10. And the Bible says that God rained fire and brimstone on those cities. He overthrew those cities. Okay, Uh, We've got more than 10 good people here. And I haven't checked the weather report, but I don't think we got fire and brimstone in the forecast. It's it's been worse is what I'm trying to tell you. Israel repeatedly turned away from God. I mean, his chosen people repeatedly turned against him and began to trust in idols and themselves and other things. And there was a time, the Bible says, everyone just did what was right in their own eyes it sounds like today doesn't it but it got so bad in israel that repeatedly god would say okay okay assyrians come on in take them captive okay babylon come take them captive maybe that will bring them to their senses okay so it's been worse rome i mean we think i just talked about This society being hostile to Christianity. Rome was hostile to Christianity. Nero, when he had garden parties, he lit the gardens with Christians. He took Christians and put them on stakes and lit them for garden torches. Now, that's hostile to Christianity. So it's been worse. But undeniable fact number two is, it's not the worst ever, but it's getting worse. I don't know how close we are. God blesses those who fear him. Uh, we're fearing him less and less. We're, the nation is getting further and further away from that trust in God. And I don't know how close we are, but we're, we're going the wrong direction. That's an undeniable fact. Now, based on Psalm 33, we got to know the last fact. Undeniable fact number three, God still hears those who fear him, even if it's just a few. Even if it's just a few. Verse 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them in famine." Although Abraham didn't understand how bad Sodom was, he underestimated it. He understand, God listened to him. God heard him. Abraham was pleading for Sodom to be saved, and God discussed it with him. He was willing to spare it if there were just ten good people there, but there weren't. Elijah, a great story about Elijah in 1 Kings 19. He was in a cave. He had been messing with Jezebel and all that. He had had a hard old time. And he just went into a depression. He said, God, it's over. I've been defending you. I've been trying hard. I've been telling people about you. And the people don't care. They have forsaken your concepts, they've torn down your altars, they've killed your prophets. They're going to kill me next. And then he told God, he said, I'm the only one left. Ah, this nation is shot. I am the only one left that's serving you. You know what God said to him? He said, Elijah, get up. we got work to do. Elijah, you've got to go anoint a new king. Elijah, you've got to go pick up Elisha. He's your intern. You've got to train him for a while because I've picked him to replace you. You've got to get to work. And by the way, you think you're the only one? I've got 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. God knew exactly who feared him. God knew the number of people in that country that feared him. He said, I've got 7,000 that haven't bowed to Baal yet. You feel like you're all alone. You feel like it's the worst it's ever been, but I've got 7,000 left. I don't know how many righteous we have left in America. I think it's over 7,000. But even if it was just 7,000, I calculated it just for fun. If there were just 7,000, do you know what the opinion poll would say? An accurate opinion poll out of 327 million people? It would say 99.99998. Don't trust in God. And point O two. do trust in God. That was if there were just 7,000. I think we got more than that. You read through the Bible and you see he answered just a few. He knows who fears him. And he blesses nations and curses nations because of who he hears. There's a story in the Bible about a king named Xerxes or Hasserus. The Bible says he ruled over most of the known world. It says from India to Ethiopia. That's a pretty big kingdom. And this king put in power an evil, evil man. He elevated a man named Haman to a place of power that he was over everybody else in the country. And this evil, evil man had in his mind to destroy all of God's people. He was hostile to Jews. He was going to destroy all of them. I know this sounds like history, sort of. That happens every once in a while, but that's who Haman was. And when Haman was moved into that position, when he had the power to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish, to destroy all the Jews, I envision that Satan thought we got it made now. Satan may have sat back and crossed his arms and said, check. But you see, God had already moved into position a Jew named Mordecai and his pretty cousin. He already had them in position. They were in position, and when it came time for Haman to do his evil deed, God said, checkmate. Checkmate. I don't know how many good people were there. I don't know how many of the Jews were fearing God and hoping in him and asking him to deliver, but he heard them. Even if it was just Mordecai and Esther, he heard them. And he had them in position to do what he needed done to deliver those who feared him. He does still hear those who fear him, even if it's just a few. All right, those are three undeniable facts. So what do we do with Psalm 33? If we understand the psalm, if we understand those three facts, what do we do with Psalm 33 beyond this 30 minutes? Well, let's consider our response. Now, now listen to that. If we understand Psalm 33, and if we believe it, those are two different things. If we understand it, and if we believe it, then I'm convinced that the number one thing, in fact, basically the only thing we've got to do, is hope in Him. That's what Psalm 33 says. We need to hope in Him. Now, that could be a whole sermon all by itself. What's that mean? Because, you see, we hope in a lot of other things. I mean, as Americans, we've got a lot of freedoms and blessings, so we tend to, tend to hope in them. We say, well, if we want to save America, we've got to vote. Well, if we want to save America, we've got to organize. We've got to run for office. We've well, we got to start a political action committee. We've got to donate to our cause. And we're blessed to live in America. We get to do some of those things. And that's okay. But Psalm 33 says that's not what you hope in. See, if you put your hope in a candidate, or your hope in a party, or your hope in a voting block, I want to tell you just one thing. You can't get enough horses to win the battle. Because horses don't win the battle. God wins the battle. He's listening to those who fear him so he can deliver them. And there have come times in history when not enough people trusted or feared in him or hoped in him that he let the nation go under. But Psalm 33 says he hears, even if it's just a few. Now, some of you have enough talent and time and money to to get involved and to run for office and campaign, and, and all those are good things. We need to be represented in the world around us. But for the average, hard-working, God-fearing Christian who's struggling to get by, who's got everything he can do just to raise the family, that loves this country, wants God to bless America, Psalm 33 says here's the answer. What do you do? You hope in Him. That's the response. You hope in Him. Now, a little inside information here. that There are websites out there that have sermons on them. You don't really have to prepare sermons anymore if you don't want to. You just go to the website and say, I want a sermon about the 4th of July, and you can get a couple hundred of them. Now, I look at those websites to see if I get some ideas or some illustrations or something I hadn't heard before sometimes. I don't think I've ever preached one directly. I've got some points out of them before, but... I looked up 4th of July sermons, Independence Day sermons. You know what about 95% of them are? About 95% of them are my undeniable fact number two. This nation's crumbling. And that's all the sermon is. And they're true. And it may make us feel good or feel bad or something for a half hour or something. I don't know. But that's what preachers talk about when they talk about our freedoms and independence Day. They say, the nation's falling apart. Well, it is. But I think Psalm 33 says that the most important fact that ought to be preached about is undeniable fact number three. So what if the nation's crumbling? He still hears those who fear him. He hears those who hope in him so that he can deliver them. And the worse things get, the more important fact number three becomes. So what's my our response, I say, hope in him. And you hope in him. You're the only one you can control. You don't control the federal government, the state government, the city government. Most of us don't control what goes on in our own house very well. But you can control you. Hope in him. Take Psalm 33 to heart. Live like you fear God. Esther had to live like she feared God in spite of the consequences. Abraham did in spite of all of them did. Did Live like you fear God and pray like your hope is in him. Ask him to deliver this country. The second part of our response, and I believe there is a second part, is to teach our children to do the same. Not only should we hope in him, but we need to teach our children and grandchildren. That's been the plan since day one. That's been the plan. Deuteronomy 6. That's how it's supposed to work. Parents, raise your children. Parents, teach them. Parents, raise them so they'll fear God and be blessed. Psalm 33 says he blesses people who fear him. That's the way we're supposed to raise our children if you let the world raise your children or the media or your their peers or schools, let them raise them America's judgment's just going to come that much sooner. you raise them to put their hope in him. We're going to close this morning by praying psalm thirty three uh, following that prayer, if you have some public need a response or a Prayer request of this family, we'll invite you to come to the front. But now let's bow in prayer and let's pray Psalm 33. Father in heaven, we praise you because you're powerful and sovereign. You are Lord of nature. You're also Lord of history. And we know that you're faithful and that you love righteousness and justice. We acknowledge that all of the earth should fear you and respect you and be in awe of you. We know that the plans of nations are nothing compared to your plans. Your plans stand forever. We know that you bless nations. We know that you watch mankind. We know that you're the one that wins the battles. We know that you see us and deliver Those of us who fear you, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, those who hope in his steadfast love. Therefore, we pray with one voice, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our hope and shield, for our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you through your son who gave us all freedom, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.